You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hi, Michelle. So good to be with you again for another episode of Lead to Soar. It is very good to be here, Mel. And listeners, we're laughing because I was just stumbling over my words before and thinking about which self I'm going to show up as today. So what are we going to talk about, Mel, about this self business? Well, I'm hoping to hear some of this from you because we've got this title of Don't Be Yourself, which seems a bit provocative, especially in the day and age where we talk a lot about authenticity. So when you say don't be yourself in the context of work, what are you talking about, Michelle? Before we we delve into that, I want to give the caveat again that what we want to help you do, dear listener, is to go beyond the conventional advice that's given to women. Because I know you've heard me say it before, but we get a lot of unsolicited advice from colleagues, from magazines, from the internet, from social media. And things that kind of really grind my gears are you've got to show up as and you've got to be authentic and, you know, don't be yourself. And I think all of them are contradictory. So if you're going to be authentic, but don't be yourself, i.e. put on some kind of mask or, or, or assume a persona, they're contradicting. You think, well, which one do I pay attention to as I'm navigating through life and leadership and career? So that's the first caveat. Listen, this is what we're doing is trying to get underneath some of these the clickbait headlines. So what I want to get across here, Mel, to start off with, and, and I want to explore that with you, is that I'm the same person, but myself now is different to me at 20, that when I was 30 and when I was 40. Am I different? No, I'm more evolved. I've learned new skills. I've added new things to my toolkit and including my toolkit around my strengths and my attributes and my characteristics. And I suppose what I want to say is, again, to live your best life what does your best self look like in that life? So how do we show up as our best self in that moment for the people in that moment? And that means that there's no one version of ourselves. And I want to explore that, Mel, because I think we've, we're still seeing people getting interesting advice about how to be good leaders, how to manage people, which asks them to almost divorce themselves from who they are at the core and assume another persona. That's what I want to explore today with you because I'm a bit irritated by it all. Okay. And I think there's several different places where I want to explore within this. And, and one of those places is in the sort of DE&I space, I do hear a lot of talk about bringing your authentic self to work, usually in the context of someone from an underrepresented group needing to be able to bring their quote authentic self to work. So I think we need to parse out some of the semantics here and get a little more clear about what we're actually saying. So if you'll indulge me, let's start there. In the context of the workplace and someone who has felt historically 
unwelcome in a workspace, being able to come as their quote, authentic self, what are we talking about? So my own experience as a, as a gay woman, that, that would look like me. And of course, this is my experience, not anyone else's. So I'm not speaking for all of the rainbow community here, but that could look like me not masking. So particularly in the early days of my relationship with my darling, I wasn't fully out, etc. And I was in a workplace that I didn't feel like I could be fully out or I wasn't ready to be. So I would say things like my partner or my other half, or I wouldn't say my girlfriend or, or my wife. And I would not make a lot of references to my personal life. In fact, I've got to say back then, I'd kept my work life and my personal life very, very separate. So I didn't allow them to blend because it was risky for me. So for people with non-visible parts of their identity, they will be dialing that down, masking. For people of colour, and again, this is I'm not speaking for people of colour, I'm using my own experience and observations, that may possibly be I start to try to assimilate so I don't talk about my culture. We've heard our colleague Amal talk about hair straightening versus non-hair straightening. So I might adopt as much as is possible the appearance, the mannerisms, the style, the way we do things around here, the culture of the dominant group. So that masking means that I'm pretending or I'm putting on a, a mask, as it implies. And that can be done for all sorts of reasons. And it won't necessarily be because there's a bad workplace. It may be because the person is simply not okay or not ready to reveal parts of themselves that they consider private. However, in terms of what you're saying, Mel, you know, we do that. Let's show up as our full authentic selves. We bring our whole selves to work. As leaders, we've got to ask ourselves, what does that really mean? And am I asking people to reveal things about themselves they don't want to? Simply, am I just being unrealistic or am I just am I just trotting out another bullshit bit of corporate bingo and I'm not yeah. really doing anything about it? <laughs> I want to co-opt some language that I heard elsewhere and kind of adapt it for our use here. So I'm going to present this idea of authenticity of self versus authenticity of work. And I think what we're talking about here or what we've brought up in this first part is authenticity of self. So just because you are gay does not mean that you are under any obligation to share that with other people that you work with unless you want to. At the same time, what we're going for with through DE&I work is an environment where you would be safe to do. Is that fair to say? That's absolutely safe. So it becomes my choice to or not to. And the workplace is not dictating or it's creating the environment where I've got a choice to do that or not. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So then I would describe authenticity of work then as that part of authenticity that you and I take issue with, right? I want to get real concrete about this. So in recent sort of times, authenticity has also been used almost as an excuse for bad behavior. And 
you see this bad behavior in communication, especially online, and also in people's actions. So things like, I was just speaking my mind. I said what I said. I made a resolution to be brutally honest. Or I don't feel like I have enough energy to do that. I don't feel confident enough to do that. I'll do it later. And I'll add the caveat here that we're, we're not talking about people who have disabilities or health problems that prevent them from doing things in their day-to-day lives. So I'm talking about people making a choice and using this kind of language to defer their work. And I think this matters because when it comes to work, which is what we're usually talking about here at Lead to Soar, we're talking about your careers, right? When we go to work, we've made commitments to our employer, to our customers, to our clients to serve them, serve our clients or customers, contribute to the mission of the organization, etc. And part of that commitment, I think, is showing up as a professional. And usually that means expending emotional labor as part of our work. The example that Seth Godin has used in the past is this idea that, you know, when I go to the doctor or when I go see my surgeon, I don't want them to show up as their authentic self, especially if they're having a bad day. I want them to show up with professionalism and some empathy and all of their expertise to help me when I'm in need, because that is the commitment they made when they took the job as a doctor. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And as you were talking, Mel, I was naturally doing a little retro on my own life and my own leadership and thinking about useful career advice that I've received. And one of my bosses and listeners who are longtime listeners will have heard me talk about Steve before, who was really, you know, propelled my career a number of times. I used to run call centers, so great big environments, lots of people. And he said, Michelle, if you don't think that the minute you walk through the front door and you walk to your office that you haven't got eyes on you and people are watching you and trying to work out, is this a good day, a bad day? Is she in the zone? Is she not? If you don't think people are watching you, you're a fool because they are. And if then, of course, the other piece is that leadership casts a very long shadow. And I, I don't know who to credit for that, but I use that expression. I'll, both are true. So as a leader, and I can recall one of those particular contact centres that I ran, and I would drive into the basement, park my car, walk over to the elevator, get in it. And at the time, I was having some pretty significant challenges in my personal life. I was going through a divorce and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there was some shit going down. I would walk into that elevator and I do love Beetlejuice. So, and I'd just go, showtime. That was my, okay, here I am. It's not anyone's business of all the crap I'm going through in my personal life. I'm here as their leader. I've got to lead these 500 people today. They're depending on me. My employer is depending on me to do some stuff. And you know what? I do need to show up. And that showtime was, was my, okay, here we go. Was I not being my, so I know <laughs> you've just got a picture of Beetlejuice, didn't you? And you know, there's some mornings I look a bit like Beetlejuice, but anyway, um, Oh my God, <laughs> listeners. She's even wearing black and white today. <laughs> So um, anyway, I um, so was I not being real? No, but this is the showing up. This is where I get really bent out of shape because if I had paid attention to perhaps be your authentic self, 
I would have gone, well, I'm going to walk in with a, a face like a slapped bum hole and everyone's going to know I'm, I'm grumpy and, and, you know, like I'm not a robot, that, but, you know, it's just not on. So because I was there as a leader and I needed to show up in a certain way. Sorry, Mel, I've made you lose it there. But <laughs> so, you know, there's just stuff that we need to, to, as leaders, really get our heads around and go beyond the clickbait and go, you know, what does it mean to be an authentic leader? It doesn't mean... You know, waking up feeling a bit grumpy and what have you, I'm sorry, but that's, you're just going to have to park that for a little while because you have obligations. You have obligations to your leadership, you know, to be a leader. You have obligations to your people, your customers and your shareholders. And that's when, which is what we're exploring. This is why we've got to go beyond these headlines and say, what does this really mean for me? What does it really mean for my leadership? So sometimes you don't be yourself but you can be your best self. And my best self on those days was compartmentalizing a little bit. Okay. I'm tempted to veer us off here in another direction. Shall I do that? Or Yeah. 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 Cause uh, I can't make any more comments like slapped bum hole or you'll, you'll lose the plot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Something that's been on my mind recently. So I had a uh, very close family member pass away recently and I'm not in a traditional nine to five job right now and when this first occurred one of the first thoughts I had is that the existing policies that we have in most workplaces in the U.S. for time off for grieving when you lose someone are laughable it's a laughably short amount of time. So I think there's challenges that I see with the discussion around showing up and authenticity that are also related to these re-challenges that we have. And I'm speaking mostly from this U.S. perspective because we have terrible benefits in this regard. And simultaneously, it's a very privileged because we're talking primarily about people who have full-time jobs that have some, some kind of benefits at all. It's not just grieving. It's not just the time off for that that's so terrible in the United States that needs change, radical change. It's also maternity leave. It's also things like paid time when you're sick. It, it's all of these things where we have to acknowledge that there are real things that happen in life where people are going to need a fucking break. Look, whilst Australia's industrial relations landscape is far more favourable for, for workers than the US, we still have very limited, on average, compassionate leave or bereavement leave is, you know, it's usually a handful of days, two or three days if you've got a generous employer or you then have to dip into your paid time off, uh, annual leave, etc. As you were talking, Mel, I'm thinking about all the the times when it will be really difficult to show up to work because that is a bridge too far. So, and, you know, some of the things that, that occurred to me, I was watching the broadcast news here at my parents' place the other night and I must admit, my dad was having a little grumble. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this, but he was having a little grumble about support for women who want to freeze their eggs and fertility leave. And, and I guess the stuff around fertility and childbearing and what have you. And there was a comment on the news, I must admit, I don't think dad was going to say it out loud in front of me about 
why should the taxpayer bear the burden of paying for this kind of stuff? And I'm kind of veering off a little bit, but I'm going to come back, I promise. Number one, the taxpayer should, because we actually want to create more taxpayers for the future. So we need people to produce children because they're our future taxpayers and they'll look after all of us. So from a long-term economic sense, it, it makes sense to support workers to produce other workers for a start. But from a leadership perspective, how do we support people who can't show up? This is the flip side of, so so imagine, let's use my example. So I'm going through a pretty shitty divorce. Things are, are fairly rotten. Uh, they were very rotten actually, but I didn't tell anyone about it. So no one could help me. Now I didn't tell anyone about it for a whole range of reasons, you know, including it's private and yada, yada, yada. But Interestingly, further down the track, some th- some cracks did appear in my leadership. And, and as a result, I had a fairly in-depth conversation with both my boss and a very senior HR person. They just said, why didn't you tell us what you were going through so that we could support you? And I kind of went, there is a part of me that thinks, you know, I am superwoman and I can do it all and I don't need help. And But, you know, there was also a part of me that went, oh, I'm not telling my workplace that there's some shit going down because... I don't want them to think I'm not capable and can't cope. And what would that mean for my career? And, and of course, being a woman as well, would this put a whole blanket of, oh, well, there's another mum, single mum with two kids that we won't uh, actually shelve her career. Yes. So I don't know that I would have consciously been thinking about those moments. That would have shaped the way I was, you know, showing up now. Mm. I've got to say, listeners, this is about me as an employee now, not as a lead. And of course, these are the multiple identities within ourselves. We're complex humans, right? So, oh, yes, Mel, I'm interested in what do we do? How might we as leaders be paying attention to folks who need that support when perhaps in the case of bereavement, okay, we don't have a policy or we have a day. You can have a day or two days. As a leader, what might I do that could support you going through bereavement by saying, listen, we haven't got a policy. I could actually sign off on paid leave or paid time off, but how can I support you to kind of chug along at 25% for a couple of weeks? And that's okay because we want to support you. So that's where I went with that, Mel, is have I gone down the right tram track? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, this is complicated. What you were just describing reminds me of there was a time when I had a job that on paper, it was not full time, but it was definitely full time. Like when you were on, it was 60 to 80 hours a week. The issue with that in the United States is that if it's not full time on paper, you're not getting any benefits like sick Mm. leave, etc. And someone who did have a full-time job there came into work sick, got me sick, and I couldn't go to work for several days. And the leader that I had at the time basically told me, you got to lie on your timesheet and I'll sign it so that we can get around this rule, basically. And that, I guess we could have a (laughs) debate over the ethics of that, but that's part of what we're talking about as leaders, how do you support your people when they're in need? And, you know, think about the ramifications of this. When you support people in this way, when they're in need, they're going to be more dedicated to you and the work that they're doing for you. 
Yeah, and I think to bring us right back to where we started, this is the going beyond the headline. So show up as your authentic self doesn't mean coming in in your rainbow gear or your cultural heritage <laughs> dress or, you know, what, whatever it may mean because that's clearly not going to be the choice for a bunch of people. If they, I mean, if it's your thing, great, go for it and you feel safe. But I think for leaders, asking our people to show up or asking them to bring their whole selves to work means that when they need to, they can be vulnerable with you to say, I need help, I need support. And whether that's a bereavement, whether it's the industrial relations landscape and there's a policy that is quite simply getting in the way and you have to be creative to support that person, engage the greatness in others. We've got to seek out greatness you know, use our greatness to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. What does it mean to engage the greatness in others? For leaders, you must know your teams. So who are they? What makes them tick? What makes them show up or want to show up? And, and we talked in a previous episode about, you know, we don't, we actually don't want to enforce people to turn up. We want them to want to come to work wherever work might be. And so part of that is is really understanding how do I recognize when Mel's not doing okay and I really like the three R's which is recognize respond refer it's from one of our fabulous agencies here that works on violence against women so as a leader in the workplace how do I recognize what's going on for my folks so there might be a little shift in behavior it might be subtle it might be less subtle how do I respond to Mel so what do I do have a conversation open the batting, say, hey, let's have a chat. I notice that things aren't wonderful for you at the moment or you seem to be a bit stressed or you seem to be a bit sad. Is there anything I can do to help you with that? And then the refer is, as a leader, you got to know your stuff. You, you cannot solve everything, but you can know where to refer to. So is there someone else in the organisation that I know can help? Can I refer her to? counseling you know to our employee assistance counseling whatever it may be know that you don't have to solve it yourself and part of that is also knowing your own policies and and processes around people in your organization so recognize respond refer is I think that's a good way but at the very heart before all of that is as a leader creating the environment where I can come to work and know that if things are a bit wobbly I can depend on you to support me so I can show up authentically today and my authentic, oh my God, my kind of world's collapsing. One part of my world's collapsing and I need your help versus mm. shelving that and not letting anyone in. So I think the two sides to it, Mel, as a leader showing up in service of, but also looking at our, at, you know, really knowing our people, engaging their greatness, saying, you know, mm. I know what to do when it looks like things are a little bit off kilter and, be yourself or bring your whole self to work just doesn't cut it. It just doesn't cut it for that kind of stuff. Totally agree. What I prefer to say is, as a leader, how might I, and, and this is what I, I, I talk to my clients about, particularly in the diversity, equity and inclusion space, how can we create a workplace that works for all humans? You think about it, a workplace that works for all humans and how can every human reach their full potential in this workplace? And you know what? Mm -hmm. You've got to go beyond a saying, this takes work, folks. It really does. 
but leadership is your job. It's not about clearing your emails and going to project meetings and you're leading people. And this is such an important part of it. So go beyond the headline and really go, what, what will it take to create a workplace that works for all humans and where each of those humans can reach their full potential? So there you go. I think that wraps us nicely. So going beyond these headlines and really digging under some of the, the language here to get clear on what we're talking about. Awesome. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. No worries, Mel. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.